You are listening to the Living Way Church podcast. For more information about Living Way Church, go to livingwaychurch.cc. This is the last week of uh, four weeks. We're talking about the book of Ruth. Now, the book of Ruth is, uh, has trials, pain. It's a story of loyalty, of change. It's a story of uh, new love, of new beginnings of faith. And most of all, it's a story of hope. It covers about 13 years and primarily focuses on the story of, of two to three individuals over the course of 13 years. And today, it's the final chapter. Now, just in case you're new and you don't have a clue, some people that come in on the last day of a series and go, great, I'm just, why don't I even show up today? If you're new or if you've slept through the last four weeks, uh, quick rewind previously on the book of Ruth, Hope. Uh, First week, chapter one, uh, Naomi, this this woman and her husband, uh, Elimelech, he, uh, through the course of economic trials and change, moved out of his hometown of Bethlehem, the land of promise, into a distant land called Moab. And there, their two sons met two women, Orpah and Ruth. Now, within the course of 10 years, all three of their husbands, Naomi's, Orpah, and Ruth's husbands, all of them died. So that means Naomi's husband and two sons died. Now, in that culture, Everything that belongs to a family goes back to the family name, leaving Naomi completely destitute. The only hope for Ruth and Orpah was for them to go back home to their hometown and try to figure out a new plan for their life. So as they were leaving and saying goodbye, Ruth said, no, Naomi, I'm with you through thick and thin. We're family. Where you go, I'm going to go. Where you live, I'm going to live. And uh, where you sleep, I'm going to be right there next to you. And where you die, I'm going to be buried right next to you. I am with you. I'm not going anywhere. Orpah loved her, said I love you, kissed her, and left. But Ruth held on to her, clung to her, and went back to Naomi's hometown in the city of Bethlehem. The, the place called the City of Bread, where they had no bread, is now a place where things had turned around. The economy is great. But here comes Naomi walking into town with her husband dead and her son's dead, and her name, Naomi, which means pleasant or blessed, she said, no, don't call me that. Call me Mara, because that means bitter, and I'm a bitter old woman right now. And so she comes into town, destitute, nothing to her name, no future, and then Ruth, a Moabite who's from a town, uh, a region that was birthed through incest and filled with uh, satanic worship and pagan worship. They, it was a, just a, a place that had a bad reputation. They were the enemies of, of Israel. So here comes Naomi, this destitute woman, and her daughter-in-law from a son that died from a land that nobody likes, considered their enemy and pagans, walking into town, and that's chapter 1. In chapter 2, for the sake of just staying alive, Ruth goes out to the streets and begins to glean off the properties of the farmers. Gleaning is where you just pick up the leftovers of whatever the farmers leave. She starts gleaning at this farm, and the owner of the farm is taken to her and hears about how she left everything to care for her uh, mother-in-law. And so he basically begins to bless her and says, here, have the best of the best. Guys, drop the best. And so that she can have it, and he begins to provide for her and care for her and give her more than she needs. And so she goes back home and says, look how God has provided for us. And Naomi says, who did this? And she said, Boaz. And Naomi says, whoa, Boaz? He's actually a, in the relative family, and he is someone who could actually redeem our life for us. End of chapter 2. Chapter 3 begins 
three months later, the end of the harvest, and what a, what a family redeemer or a kinsman redeemer is, it's someone who basically has the position, if they're willing and if they're able, uh, and if they're close enough in the bloodline, there's someone who can actually purchase back all of the family belongings, take this person under their wing, this woman under their wing, and basically give her a future again and redeem her future. And there's, in, so Naomi says, Ruth, this man, Boaz, can do all those things. So I want you to go to him tonight, and I want you to <clears throat> ask him to marry you. So that's exactly what she does. She goes to him that night, and uh, it's in chapter 3. It's a unique story. She basically says, Boaz, you've been such a blessing to me. You prayed for me that God would cover his wings over me and care for me. And she says, I think you're the answer to that prayer. Will you take your wings and cover me? Will you marry me? And Boaz says, whoa, yes. He says, yes, I will. But there's a problem. There's another kinsman redeemer who's a closer relative, and he has first dibs on you. End of chapter 3. And that's where we pick up right now. See, you didn't even have to come to church the last three weeks. You didn't even have to stay awake, some of you. I'm just kidding. Uh, So here it is. Will you marry me? Yes, but there is another. So let's jump in. The rest of the story, chapter 4. Verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town and sat down there. So basically, he's going to the place to settle community and legal matters. He walks into town, and he, he sits down, and he, he finds that other kinsman redeemer, who, by the way, would be a relative because they're in the same family. That's why they're both kinsman redeemer. But this other guy who is another, who's a closer family relative, we don't know where, where he is on the relative family. Uh, we don't know if he was Ruth's, a dead's, husband's brother or nephew or cousin or uncle. We don't know, but he was the next in line, and Boaz was somewhere in there as a distant relative of her husband, of her dead husband. So he walks into town, and he says, just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along, the other guy, the kinsman redeemer, the other uh, KR. So Boaz says, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and he sat down. Now, you got to imagine, I mean, Boaz is like, man, he's got, the, he's got the wedding ring burning in his pocket, right? He is ready to marry uh, Ruth. He, he showed that he loved her and he cared for her, respected her. He was drawn to her noble character, her love for God, her respect for her mother. I mean, he was just blown away by her. Uh, she was really a Proverbs 31 woman. And so he was just drawn to her as a godly man to a godly woman. And so that ring is burning a hole in his pocket. He says, come here. Have a seat. So Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. He wanted witnesses. This was a legal issue, and he wanted to make sure that there was, a, you know, some sense of, of legality and witnesses to affirm what is about to happen. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, he said, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. So basically, because she can't own that property, she has to legally, by their culture, sell that property back to somebody in the family or someone who will ultimately end up selling it back to the family, and she will be left with nothing because land is the measure of your value in a culture there. So basically, 
She has to sell the only valuable place in culture that she has. And he says, you've heard about her. She's come back. Her husband's dead. She has to give all the stuff back. So um, he says, yeah, I know about her. She, she keeps nothing. She has no home. Verse 4, he goes, I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of the seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people, because if you will redeem it, do so. He says, this is a family in need. Uh, they need your help. And instead of her selling it to somebody and she can't keep the money, uh, she has to sell it to somebody in the family and she might be able to benefit from some of that, at least for a season, but she needs some help. Will you buy back that property? And he, there's a plan here. He goes, um, he goes, but if not, tell me and, and I will follow. And he says, basically, I'll do it. For no one has the right to do it except you. He goes, uh, do it and tell me so I will know. No one can do it except for you right now. But he says, but I'm next in line. Okay, now you got to imagine this is kind of an auction going on right now. And, and I would imagine that the, the possibility of Ruth and Naomi being around them is very strong. Uh, because, I mean, she knows that that day, at any moment within the next 20, 30 minutes, she's going to find out the, the course of her future and who her potential husband is. So basically, I want you to write this down, by the way. This is point number one, and this is kind of where we're going to end it. The big stories of Ruth is number one, the big story of Ruth. The Ruth is the story about people doing the right things the right way. Boaz and Ruth, they waited when they could have had intimacy together. We saw that in chapter 3. They could have done things their own way and went against the rules and went against uh, culture and went against uh, what was asked of them legally, but yet they submitted to, to, uh, to God's plan. They submitted to the scriptures. They were faithful. They were loyal. They were pure. They respected authority. You see, here's the thing. There's a lot of people who think if, if it's just the right thing to do, then how you get there doesn't matter, right? A lot of it, well, as long as the motives were right is, is what we kind of think. As long as we had good intentions, it doesn't matter, you know, how bad or how illegal or how wrong something is, as long as the motives are right. But you see, the story of Boaz and Ruth reminds us that they didn't just do the right thing, because they did it the right way. You know, if, if you are in love with somebody and you know that this is the person that you want to be with the rest of your life, you prayed and you saw God's face about it, and because you love each other, you begin to have sex with each other before you get married, you might have the right thing in mind, marriage and love in the future, but the right way is to remain pure until that day. There are things, you know, you might have the right... Uh, idea of what it means to be financially secure. You want to provide for your family. You want, you know, you're struggling. You need that extra money. And there are a lot of guys, a lot of women who do the wrong thing for the right reason. And so they, they lie or they cheat or they cut corners or they, they, they kind of cheat their time clock at work because, because the right thing is I got to provide for my family and they don't pay enough for me. And they, they, they're, they're kind of chintzy and, and I deserve it. And so you do the wrong thing for the right reason. But you see, the story of Boaz is about people who did the right thing the right way. And I, and I love this about Boaz. This is one of the great character attributes of him and Ruth. Boaz did it the right way. And still, by the way, he could have lost Ruth because he was doing the right thing by offering it to this other guy first. But he had no idea what this other guy was going to say. He could have very easily, as we're going to find out, lost Ruth to another man. 
but he was willing to take that risk because not only did he want to do the right thing, but he was committed to doing it the right way. And guys, listen, sometimes when you do things the right way, you don't always win. Right? Sometimes when you stand up for what is right, when you stand up for purity, sometimes when you tell the truth, sometimes when you uh, at work do the right thing, you are not rewarded for doing the right thing. But God honors the person who does. Now, this is the situation. Verse 4, he said the right thing, doing the right thing the right way. And he says, it's you get that choice first. We don't even know this other kingdom redeemer's name. The closest we have to him is the word friend. He says, come here and sit down, my friend. We don't know. The word friend there is an idiom that basically means good buddy or my companion or, uh, you know, someone who I like. Okay, so that's all we know about his name. We don't even know his name. But this is what that man with no name says. After he's given the option of redeeming them, he says, I will redeem it. And all of a sudden, I would imagine Boaz's face went, (laughs) right? I mean, right there on the spot, well, that's not the answer he expected. Boaz lost his bride with that one sentence. I will redeem it. I will take it. I'll take it all. I'll be that person. I'll be the kinsman redeemer. The romance that was for several months had come to a close. And I imagine if Ruth is in the distance, she's going, no, inside at least. Naomi's going, oh, it's not the plan that we had prayed for. I'm going to imagine this kinsman redeemer is going 70 acres, trees, a pond, a stream, a little house. Yes, I want it. Yes, count me in. I'll redeem it. I'll buy that. Sure. But then Boaz says this. He says, uh, but on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite. He didn't just say Ruth. He said Ruth the Moabite because he said, you know about those Moabites. I think he's kind of setting the stage to try to get this redeemer to say no. He says, you know, Ruth, the Moabite. He says, you get Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. You know what that means? He says, that means uh, that you get Ruth, you have to give her children, and then once your children grow up, you have to divvy up half of everything that you have to her children. Uh, you get the land, and you get all that responsibility. And the guy says, whoa, 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 wait, I just wanted the land. Could you imagine? You get not only uh, the land, but you get a woman uh, named Naomi, who goes by the name Bitter Old Woman, by the way. And you get Ruth, the Moabite. You know how those Moabites are. He goes, and you have to provide for her children. They get access to your ATMs. They get your cards. You're shelling out money to her family because that's, what a kinsman redeemer does. At this, the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it because I might endanger my own estate. That's code for, I don't think my wife would want me to share my bed or my belongings with some other woman from Moab. He's like, "Uh, this is going to be a bad story for my life. So he says, you redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Basically, no thanks. Yeah, count me in on the land. Whoa, I get a, an old woman and I get Ruth. No, and a bunch of kids that aren't, you know, really something I plan on. No thanks. And then he says, now in earlier times in Israel, the story says, uh, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, 
one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the garden redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal and he says, here you go. Now, I don't know. That's a weird custom. I've never signed a document in a bank with a, with me giving the bank my shoes or my sandal, right? I don't think you've ever made an agreement with a friend or bought a motorcycle, bought a car or made a transition with a house or, uh, you know, went to Sears or Sears. Who goes to Sears anymore? Went to Target. No offense against Sears employees. It's wonderful. Or went to Target and said, uh, yeah, sure, that'll be $5 on a sandal. He says, uh, basically, here's my sandal. I'm out here. Now, I want you to realize that Boaz hadn't stepped up yet. And this was incredibly heavy amount of shame on Naomi and Ruth at this time. Because basically, in the ears of everyone sitting there, the person who is in line to redeem them said, no thanks. So they're broken. The community is like poor Naomi and Ruth. They're, I'm not going to help them. They're poor women. They're going to be destitute their whole life. How sad. How shameful. They have no future. Then Boaz stands up. Then Boaz announced, he stands up and he says to the elders and all the people, you know he's shouting this because he says it to Boaz and uh, to the elders and all the people. So he says, he says, today, you are my witnesses. He says that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilon and Malon. That's the two sons that died, Naomi's two sons, the, uh, the husbands of Orpah and Ruth. He goes, I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today, you are my witnesses. Basically, he says, I'll take her. I'll take her. I've got it. I've got it. I've got, I've got her. I've got her mother-in-law. And I've got her sons and her children and her girls, anybody that she has. And I will make sure that that son, that first one, is given her uh, ex-husband's, her, her dead husband's name. I will give him that so that his name can live on for I'll take all the responsibility because I love Ruth. No shame to her family. I've got her. I've got her. I will give her a forever family. Basically, it's like him going, Adrian, we did it. That's from Rocky. If anybody knows, if you're over 30, you probably have seen that movie. Here's the deal. In chapter 1, Ruth was called the foreigner. In chapter 2, she was called the slave. In chapter 3, she was called the single available servant. In chapter 4, she's called the wife. Yes, in front of all of you, I want her and I will do this. It's not the land I want, I want the bride. She's a crown, not a cancer. And I love this because that's how Jesus does to us. On the cross, he paid for us, not because he thought you were good looking, which you are, not because of what you can provide and not because of your assets or your property or your wealth or your lack of wealth. He died on the cross for the joy set before him was just you. He is the groomsman. He bought you. He purchased you. He's inviting you, the bride. I love this. Guys, gals, I want to speak to the girls. Don't just look at a guy 
that comes to church, but a guy whose pages of the Bible are worn out, a guy who will fight for you, a guy who will not give up on you, a guy that will do things, not only uh, the right things, but things the right way, and trust the Lord, and, and put his future in providing and caring and looking out for you. Verse 11, it says, Then the elders and all the people of the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. They're the, they're the, the wives of Abraham. And basically, may you have a bunch of kids, is what they're saying. He says, And may you have standing in Ephrathah. We don't know where that is, but some people believe that's the region of what is ancient Bethlehem. He says, And be famous in Bethlehem. Let everybody here know all about what you've done and your kids. He says, and through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. We're going to talk about her in a minute. Basically, he says, may, you, may your family be famous and well-known. So here's where the chapter ends, and then we're going to talk about the big pictures of Ruth. And this is uh, now the wedding, the children, and the legacy. And this is where it wraps up really fast. In verse 13, so Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. That's the whole wedding right there. Boom, over. We don't, you know, there's no six months of preparation. There's no three months of planning. There's no wedding cake. There's no who's at the DJ. It's just uh, Boaz and Ruth. I <laughs> like this. Uh, he took her, and she became his wife. And I love this translation. The NIV says, and when he made love to her. Um, I like this translation because some translations say, and he, he laid with her or he went in to be with her. And I love the NIV because it says here, uh, really, the, the connection here is that he made love to her. And, guys, there's a difference, isn't there? Um, and this is a picture of Boaz. He loved his wife. Uh, he made love to her, and it says, and the Lord enabled her to conceive. Now, you got to remember this. You know what I mean, enabled her. You realize that her previous husband, Malon, Naomi's son, they were married for over 10 years and didn't have any kids. They didn't have any birth control. They wanted to have kids. So for, so for basically as, as all as we knew, Ruth was barren, could not have any kids. For 10 years, not a single child. That's why she was a destitute woman. She had no sons who could provide and care for them through the family inheritance. But all of a sudden, the right man and the right moment, and there was love, and it was the Lord, and it was God's uh, will. said the Lord enabled her to conceive, and she gave birth to a son. We find out later she had more than one son. But Ruth, her story ends right there, and she gave birth to a son. We don't hear about Ruth for the next few chapters. Um, and as I said in week one, this is not, even though it's called the book of Ruth, it's really the book of Naomi, because the story begins with Naomi, and it ends with Naomi. Uh, and this is where it ends in chapter four, in verse 14, chapter four, it says, when the woman said to Naomi, uh, they said this, then they said to Naomi, praise be to the Lord, who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. Naomi is not abandoned, you're not bitter, but you are blessed. And he says, may he, this child, this baby of Ruth, may he become famous throughout Israel. He, this baby, will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you and who is better than you, sorry, is better, not better than you, who is better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi 
and you got to realize, you know, the credits, you know, you can, you ever go to a movie and, you know, they're just wrapping up the story. You know, I love Lord of the Rings. Anybody here like Lord of the Rings movie? That's like three and a half hour movies, extended edition. I can't get enough of them, right? And so I'm watching the movie, and in the, in the, in the movie, there's like the, the story climaxes, boom, big finale, explosions, dragons, you know? And in Lord of the Rings, there's like 30 minutes of wrap-up. Right? They go through each character. This is what happens. This is what happens. The big story has finalized, but now they're just they're wrapping things up. This is the story of Ruth. The big finale was, yes, I'll redeem her, but no, I won't redeem her. Boaz, yes, I'll do it. The big wedding climax, boom, child, yes. But the credits aren't over. They're wrapping it up. And this is what happened. This is, this is when the music begins to swell. This is the big final scene. He says, then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. And the woman living there said, Naomi has a son. And they, they named him, the town people, called him Obed. Obed means servant of God. And he was the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now, I want you to write this down. This is the second thing about the story of Ruth, is that the story of Ruth is about how God works then and how he still does now. Guys, this is extremely important when it comes to the Bible. The way God worked with people then in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, the way that God worked then is the way God works with people now. He may not do the same things, the same way, but the things that he does, his intentions and his plans and his heart and his attributes and his uh, values and God's uh, perspective on life then is the same perspective he has now. And the ways that God worked in people's lives may have changed, but the way that God works with people now is the same. His perspective. See, God, guys, I want you to know this, and this is something that people who, who are church, uh, church folks struggle with and those that are trying to find God struggle with. Guys, listen, God still works today. He still moves in the hearts and lives of people today. The Old Testament isn't some mythological stories of some bygone era, the days when God talked to people. No, God still talks to people through his spirit, through his word, and through people. God still moves through people. Miracles still happen today. Signs and wonders still happen today. How God desires to work in your life today is the same in the ways that he desired to work in the people then. Guys, listen, God cares about what's going on in your life. And he can work in your life. He can show up at work. He can show up in your marriage. He can show up with your kids. He has the same power and ability, and he has the same desire. Let's take a look at the rearview mirror, some of the characters in the story. Uh, Elimelech, let's look at their names and how God worked with them and how he still does today with us. Elimelech, his name means my God is king. Now, that's a pretty cool name. If you name your son Elimelech, you're basically saying my son's name is my God is king. He had a great name. He had the right name. But what we find out about this guy, Elimelech, is that he had the right name, but he didn't live it. Because when things got tough, he walked out on the promise of God. In an effort to save his own life, he lost his own life. And guys, listen, there are a lot of you today that have the right name, Christian, but you don't live like it. 
and you don't walk with him. And when things get tough, when the trials get hard, and when the tragedies begin to pile up and the persecution begins to get in your face and things in your life just seem to, to fall apart, we do exactly what Elimelech did and that we bail on the promise of God to try to figure out things on our own, which is exactly what he did, and he ended up losing his life. Some of you did that today. I do what I want. I want to be a Christian, but when it comes to dating, I do my own thing. I want to be a Christian, but when it comes to handling my money, I do my own thing. When it comes to leaving here on Sunday mornings and going to work on Monday, you know, I, I do my own thing. When it comes to relationships, I do my own thing. I love God, but I have the right name, but I don't live for God. You are like Elimelech. And you know, God responded to Elimelech by removing the fruit of his life. And as a result, he had no grandkids. He lost his sons. Here's another character. Oh, by the way, Matthew 16, 24, 25, and 26 says this. This is the response to Emelech for you today who are Emelech. It says, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny himself and take up their cross and follow me. He doesn't expect anything less than everything you got. And he says, for whoever wants to save their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? See, some of you, you've got the name only, but you're not a child of the king. Here's the second person. Her name is Naomi. We heard about her, and basically her name means pleasant or blessed, but she wanted to be called Mara, which means bitter, and she knows God. She, she understands God's power and God's might. She hasn't given up on, on God, but she had become bitter and angry with God and others. And some of you have been like Naomi, and it's time to crawl out of that pit. It's time for you to, to recognize, yes, I am bitter, but I know that God can make things better. It is time for you to not walk around and be angry and negative and frustrated about how bad your marriage is or about how bad your finances are, about how bad things at work are or how things at, at home are just falling apart. Your family is just like pulling you at all strings ends, and you're like, oh, God, I love you, but come on. It's time to stop walking around like Mara. Start being the Naomi pleasant, blessed one that you've been called to be. You know, God understood her pain, and when she was honest with God about it, God provided for her. And guys, listen, the same way that God provided for that bitter old woman and made her into a blessed, young and spirit woman, God can do the same thing for you men and women in here. If you walk back to the promise of God like Naomi did. Here's the, there's another woman in the, na- in the story. Her name was Orpah. By the way, her name means back of the neck. That was Naomi's other daughter-in-law that we only heard about in chapter 1 for a few verses. Her name back of the neck. Basically, this is what her attitude was, is that her future didn't look good. Following God doesn't look easy or good. So no thanks. I love you, Naomi, and your God's been great, but I'm going back to my old life. And some of you, just like Orpah, have done exactly that. So the last thing we see of Orpah is the back of her neck. And that's exactly what some of you are going to be like. I ask people all the time, you know, if they're born again, if they love Jesus. And, and you know what the Bible says, you know, if somebody's really born again or not? If they stick around. That is the key to whether someone is truly born again, is that they stay planted, they stay rooted, they stick around, and in due season you begin to see that fruit. 
And you see some of you, like Orpah, you, you walk in, you sign a card, you say a prayer, you raise your hand, you in your heart, things want to be different. But all of a sudden, you look at the future, it doesn't look good, you don't see how God's going to make much of a difference. So you say, I love you all, you guys have been great, but see ya. And we call you Orpah because all we see is the back of your neck as you're walking out the door. And some of you, you've got to realize that just like Orpah, we never hear from her again. And she goes back to her old life and dies in her sins. Some of you, you're doing your own thing, and you think God has nothing for you. And some of you, unfortunately, we may never hear from you again as you go back to your old life and die in your sins. Don't be an orphan. Here's the next person. You know Ruth. By the way, her name means beautiful friend, beautiful companion. Faced with the same circumstances that Orpah was faced with, knowing that her life is falling apart, she chose to follow and trust the hand of God. Many of you, it's time for you to do that today. You've been dealt pretty, you know what? My family was a very dysfunctional family growing up. I mean, I moved constantly. I had abusive stepfathers, violent, physically abusive stepfathers. I, there were years when we moved five or six times in one year. I went to a different school almost every year of my life, went to three different high schools. I never knew what it felt like to be rooted, to have stability, to have consistency. Uh, and, and those stepfathers were bad moral examples. And it was just a tough life. And, and, you know, with the abuse and a dad that was never around and a mom that had a season of addiction that, thank God, met Jesus and was set free from her addiction. But there were seasons in my life where I had uh, an alcoholic and a drug-addicted mother. And thank God, like, we got to celebrate her I'm going to see her again one day because she is born again and, and she's in heaven. I will get to see her redeemed and whole and perfect. She passed away a few years ago. But you know what? My life and my brother's life, we were dealt the same cards. We were dealt the same hand. Some of you, you've had a pretty tough life. And you've been dealt a pretty bad hand. But you know the difference between me and my brother is that I gave my life to Christ and God gave me a new future. And my brother became bitter and died at 42 through a series of events that was caused by his destructive behavior in his life. Tell you what, we were given the same life like Naomi and Orpah, but I chose to trust God like Ruth. You're not a product of your past. And it doesn't matter what cards you've been dealt, you get an opportunity to go back home to the promise of God. You get a, an opportunity to choose God rather than your old life and to be angry. That's Ruth. And then there's Boaz, whose name means swift in strength or quick to act. And I love that. Boaz means someone who's quick to act strongly. A man who knows and lives the word of God, who puts his future on the line, who always does the right thing and walks in God's will. God is calling you to be like a Boaz today. To trust God's will over your convenience, over your sexual desires, and over your financial uh, you know, opportunities and to trust God. See, Boaz learned the three B's that bring the hand of God in our life. Obedience, obedience, and obedience. That's why I love this story, because it reveals the character of God. You see, the way God worked then is the way God works now. But the story of Ruth does not end in a little Judean village with an old grandma hugging her grandson. The author doesn't leave it there. Sometimes in the movies you have these, like, Easter eggs where you wait through part of the credits, and then they show this, like, what's to come, 
or maybe in some of your season finales or series finales of your favorite TV show, they'll spend the next few minutes to give you a flash forward of how everybody grows up and all that. That's what happens next in these next few verses. The author does a flash forward. This then, he says, is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron. Hezron, the father of Ram. Ram, the father of Anamadab. That's a cool name. Anamadab. Do, 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 do. Anamadab. <laughs> Anamadab, the father of Nashon. And Nashon, the father of Salmon, or as my wife might say, Salmon. And Salmon, the father of Boaz, Boaz, the father of Obed, and Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. Roll credits. Now, you may not think that that's a big deal, but that shepherd boy who becomes one of the greatest kings of Israel, his great-great-grandma is Ruth, the Moabite. His great-grandma, the one who used to bounce him on her knee in her old age, was Ruth. The big surprise inning. Wow. The readers are like, whoa, you mean Ruth is the great-grandma of David, the greatest king our nation's ever known, whose throne is the throne of the Messiah, the one who Jesus sits on? Are you kidding me? Whoa. Roll credits. That's like one of the best Easter eggs at the end of a movie ever. It's like, and Ruth, yeah, her great-grandkid is the king. What? So I want you to write this down is that the story of Ruth is about how God can invite and call anyone to him. And I love this, is that the, the writer ends with a flash forward, uh, like our favorite series do. This lonely woman with a shady past and a shady family, well, she has a royal family moving forward. She becomes the grandma, great-grandma of a king, the greatest king, not just any king, but the greatest king. She had Thanksgiving with David. She had holidays. You know, David probably showed up as a child and was there to see Grandma Ruth blow out her candles. No one is beyond the reach of God's redemptive hand. That's the powerful story of Ruth. In fact, Ruth actually shows up at another place in the Bible, and, and only one other place, and it's a thousand years later in the book of Matthew chapter 1. And let's take a look at this amazing uh, fact that the story of Ruth is part of God's ongoing idea that he calls and invites anyone and everyone who will come. This is what it says in Matthew 1, and usually this is skipped. If you're like reading the Bible, I'm going to start reading the Bible, and you get to Matthew, you're like, yikes, chapter 1, Ugh, that's why I don't like reading the Bible, because it's begats. You know what a begat is? It's when somebody says so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so begat, so-and-so. That means this person had this kid, this person had this kid, this person had this kid, and all of a sudden the begats are like, yikes, so we skip the begats and get to the real story. Well, the begats are important. In Matthew chapter 1, the writer Matthew, the apostle Matthew, the disciple Matthew, what he does is he gives the genealogy on, his, uh, on, on Joseph's side, Mary and Joseph, the ones who raised Jesus, the Mary, the mother of Jesus. Well, Joseph, the, the half, uh, the, the stepdad of Jesus, this is his family line in Matthew chapter 1. So it says this, this is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. It goes, Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers, Judah the father of Perez, the one who's mentioned in the Ruth story, and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar, who was mentioned in the story. We'll talk about her in a minute. Her kids give us salmon, or salmon. Uh, her kids, uh, she has a child, and that child gives us salmon, uh, salmonella. Verse 5, salmon. 
Uh, verse 5, Salmon, the father, is uh, he's the father of Boaz, who was the mother of Rahab, whose mother was Rahab. Boaz was the father of Obed, whose mother was, everybody say, Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David, and David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, who is Bathsheba, and she gave birth to Solomon. Matthew then completes the list, He, you know, for the sake of tonight or today, we're going to jump down to 16. And he says, and Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Right down to Joseph, husband of Mary, mother of Jesus. I want to take a closer look now at the family tree of, of this story. Because I want to look at the four women that really jump out in the genealogy. Because Ruth is a story about a life change in a woman's life. This applies to men and women. But I want to look at the four women in that story. And the first one is Tamar. He mentions that there's this woman named Tamar. And Tamar's story is in Genesis chapter 38. Now you got to understand Tamar is a terrible, 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 sad, depressing story. Because what happens with Tamar is like Naomi, both of her sons die and her husband dies and she's left destitute and there is no redeemer to help her. So what Tamar does is she dresses up like a prostitute, goes into costume and seduces her father-in-law, whose name is Judah, to become intimate with her and she gets pregnant. After she gets pregnant, word gets out because she... He doesn't have any idea that he had slept with his daughter-in-law. He doesn't know. And she's, he wasn't willing to redeem her, so she seduced him and, and basically was going to have the big reveal and force him to redeem her. So she's pregnant. All of a sudden, word gets out that she's some sort of loose, adulterous woman. And so they bring her before Judah, the leader of the tribe, and says, she is a whore and you need to judge her. And so he says, stone her, and then find that man that got her pregnant and kill him. And then Tamar steps forward and says, I'll make it easy for you. It's you. And then he says, let's handle this internally, everybody. <laughs> it's exactly what happens. So she ends up having children. And we're reading the story, and you're like, really, Tamar in the story of Jesus? And Jesus is saying, yeah, print it. Put it in there. A desperate, lonely woman, after all this breaks loose, she finds herself on her knees, and she comes back to trust in God. One of Tamar's sons had a son whose name was Samuel. And he becomes a great warrior, and he gets a job with Joshua, one of the great leaders of the early church. He led Israel into the promised land. And Joshua had a group of mighty men, and one of them was Tamar's great-grandson. And Tamar is sent in to spy out the land, and he meets a woman named Rahab. Her story is in Joshua chapter 2. And basically, this guy, uh, Salmon, is sent in by Joshua to, to search out the land, the city that they are about to attack in a few days. So Joshua says, hey, we're going to go in. We're going to take out this city. Let's see how confident they are. Let's see how strong they are. And so Joshua, this great warrior, he's about to, you know, plow into the promised land and set up camp. He sees Jericho, their first big wall, and he sends uh, two spies in, 
and they get in there, and one of them is salmon, and they get into this town, and th- there's nobody that's going to help them because they're Jewish, they're the enemy, and they know that they're out on the skirts of town ready to attack, except one woman breaks him in, hoping to make some money, and her name is Rahab, and she is a local prostitute who runs a brothel. And so she brings in these guys, and we find out that these men had pure intentions. They did not have any intimate relationships with Rahab. But what we do find that is she she sheltered them, hid them from the authorities, and that night up on the roof, they lead her to a knowledge of Jesus. Well, actually, we know it as Jesus, but to the knowledge of God's plan, Yahweh, the Lord. And so she dedicates her life to the Lord. And he says, because you spared us, when we come in, anyone you have in your house, by the way, it's amazing, her house was a brothel, and that brothel became a place of refuge for anyone she would bring in, any family, any friends, anyone that came into that house was spared. And so when Joshua came in, they wiped out the town, but that house was spared. And guess what? Rahab, Salmon fell in love, and they got married. Guess who their child was? They had a son. His name was Boaz. And Rahab was this Canaanite Moabite prostitute. And he meets Boaz, their son, meets a woman named Ruth, a woman who is destitute, a foreigner, a Moabite with a bad reputation. And God says, really? You know, Matthew's really, you want me to write down the story of Rahab? Jesus says, yeah. And all of a sudden, we meet Ruth, this, this woman, this Moabite, this, this destitute, this, this woman of, uh, who's got this terrible story, this terrible background. Why? Yes, really print it. While Rahab was a sinful outcast woman who comes to know and trust God, Ruth is a desperate, destitute, lonely woman who learns to know and trust God. You know, I often thought that maybe that's why Boaz was so nice to Ruth. Because he was the kid who grew up with the mom who was a prostitute from Canaan. His mom was the one that everybody knew ran that brothel. He grew up with the names. He grew up hearing the attacks, hearing the insults, made fun of. Maybe when he saw Ruth, he saw his mom. And he took kind to her. Rahab and Boaz fell in love. That's the story of Ruth. They get married and they have a son whose name is Obed. And Obed... The servant of God has a son whose name is Jesse. Now, Jesse has eight sons, and one of them was a little shepherd boy named David. And David, after he becomes this great king, becomes comfortable in his own life and not seeking God how he should, he meets this woman named Bathsheba. And Bathsheba was a married woman, you guys know the story, who was on her rooftop cleaning herself, which is a custom that was pretty normal. She wasn't trying to do anything salacious. She was doing a very normal thing. He was doing something abnormal. He wasn't where he was supposed to be at the time he was supposed to be. And he saw Bathsheba, and using his manipulation of a power and authority, he drew her in. Now, the woman gave in to the seduction of David, and during a weak moment, she has sex with him, and the two of them have a baby. She gets pregnant. And in order to cover it up, the two of them come up with a plan, and they have her husband killed, and they get married. And God says, really? Matthew says, really? You want me to put that in the Bible? And Jesus says, yes, bring it. A marriage that should have never happened, however, becomes a godly legacy that 
trust God. See, where, where all this comes down to, where all of this happens is in a little town called Bethlehem. All this happens in a place called the city of David. The city of David, Bethlehem, the place where Ruth found hope, life, and a new future is also the place where we found hope, life, and a new future because in the city of David, the great-great-grandchild of Tamar, of Ruth, of Rahab, of Ruth, and of Bathsheba, and of David, and of Mary was Jesus. You see, Ruth is all about us. Ruth is all about whoever shall come. Ruth is all about whoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Ruth reminds us that anybody, regardless of your past, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of your family tree or how you've been brought up or the cards you've been dealt, God is calling you if you'll come. You say, but Ted, I don't understand. This, you, you don't understand. You might say, Ted, you, you don't, this can't happen to me. This can't happen with all I've done and all I've been through and all that's happened. You don't understand my life. Guys, I would say, go back to the genealogy. The guys' stories are worse than the women. That genealogy is there on purpose. Not so that we could skip and go, yikes, words. But so that we could know the, the crazy people that God says, I have a plan for you. Ruth is that reminder. You can't out God's ability to redeem you. Here's the last thing I want you to know is that the story of Ruth is about the faithful hand of God. And I love this, and this is what I want to end on. I want to pray with you about today. Judges, and in Ruth, it begins that in those days, in the time of Ruth, there was no king. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. See, we live in a similar day where everyone does what is right in their own eyes. Ruth reminds us that we can stand for what is right and live honorably by the hand of God. Ruth reminds us that when our world seems to be going crazy, God is still in control. When it doesn't seem like anything can get any worse, and then it gets worse, you think, God, how and why? Ruth reminds us, his hand is at work if you'll trust him. Ruth, this is the story of the hand of God. You see, when Naomi's whole life caved in, God gave her the gift of a faithful companion, Ruth. When Ruth's future seemed hopeless, God gave her a loving future and a husband named Boaz and a beautiful son named Obed. And when the world is sick and seems hopeless and destitute, and when the world seems to cave in, God reaches out his hand and says, I've got Jesus if you'll take him. I've got Jesus if you'll have him. See, the life of the godly is not a straight line to uh, glory, but God will get you there through his hand. See, Ruth begins with the days of judges and ends with the birth of the greatest king. Ruth begins with a funeral and ends with the birth of a child. Ruth begins with a curse of curses and ends with the blessing of blessings. Ruth begins with a scene of bitterness and ends with a scene of happiness and hope. Ruth begins with Naomi feeling empty and alone and ends with Naomi feeling full and fulfilled. Ruth begins with despair, but Ruth ends with hope. That's the faithful hand of God. We've come to the end of so what is the lesson of Ruth? What one thing does the author want us to take away? I believe it's this, that amidst the series of setbacks, trials, turns, and tragedies, God has not forgot you. When you're alone, left out, and abandoned, the hope of the Redeemer is calling you. I want to pray for you right now. Some of you need the hand of God in your life. Your marriage, your family, your home, your job, your finances, whatever things that, that stress us out, the hand of God is here.
Will you do something for me? Let's pray. I want you to do something, particularly if you're here today. Let's all stand as we close. I want us to, I want us to try something today. I want you to stand and close your eyes because we're going to talk to we're going to talk to God for a minute. I want to ask the abortion band to come on back. Um, I want you to I want you to put your hands out in front of you. I want you to close your eyes and uh, and put cup them like a like the, here. Open your eyes for a second. Cup them like this. Look at me for a second. This is. I want you to. All right. I want you to, you can open your eyes if you want, but I suggest closing because this is the time between you and God. So if you close your eyes and put your hands out in front of you, I want you just for a second, I want you to fill that cup, fill your hands right now with everything that's heavy on your heart. With those struggles, things at work, finances, your marriage, your kids, your family, feeling depressed, a sin, a struggle. I want you to put in that hand things that are weighing heavy on your life right now. Go ahead and list them by name. Talk to God. Say, in my hand, God, is, is this. Go ahead and tell him with your own word, God, in my hands is, is this. And just say what it is. It's between you and the Lord. that you've got it in your hands I want to pray for you God you see in their life in their hands God what they have presented before you what their struggles are what their challenges are what their stresses are God you see them and your response Lord is let me have it your response is take it out of your hands and put it in mine Lord, I pray that that's exactly what they do right now. Here's what I want you to do, people. If you've got your hands cupped and you've got your stresses, your trials, your struggles, whatever it is, your prayer requests, whatever's in your hand, will you do something right now? Will you imagine that God's hand is underneath your hand and then let go and drop it into the hands of Jesus? Will you just do that right now? Just drop it into the hand of God. Thank you, Jesus, that you catch it, you have it, you'll keep it. God, you'll, you'll in your time and in your provision, take care of me and provide for me and heal me and work this out for my good. God, I trust you with my life. I trust you with my concerns. I trust you with my sin. I trust you with my struggles. God, here it is. Like Ruth, I put my life in your hands. God, I will be faithful until I see that prayer answered. God, I will be faithful to you, to those around me. I will be one who lives your will until that prayer is answered. I will not falter because your hands are strong and good and able and willing. Thank you, Redeemer. Now just raise your hands and thank God for that. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. Thank you, my Redeemer. I trust your healing in my life. In Jesus' name. Amen. Man, God is good. He's got you. He's got you. You see what? God, I've been hurt so much. Oh, he won't hurt you. 
Thank you for the hand of God. Thank you for this wonderful story that reminds us of the faithful hand of God, the hope of Jesus. Amen. If you'd like to know uh, or talk more to somebody about this today, uh, grab myself, one of the band members, Sean, one of our elders, and we'd love to talk with you or pray with you. If you'd like to meet with somebody about anything, write that down on the connection card, and uh, we'll call you, and we'd love to meet with you or have somebody meet with you. We love you. Is God good? All the time. Are his hands strong? Amen. Amen. Hey, guys, as the uh, ushers come right before we worship our way out of here, uh, let's pray over the offering. God, we just bring this offering to you, and, and, and we ask that, God, you take it, you touch it, you... You bless it, you multiply it, you do all the things you do. And God, that you use our small offering in this world to do amazing things. God, that we take it and break it like fish and multiply it and, and God, feed a ton of people with it. We love you for what you do. We love you for who you are. Thank you for involving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, uh, just before the band plays us out, uh, go ahead and have a seat for a minute. Let that offering bucket pass. By the way, we do the offering at the end so you can get it ready during the service. So uh, get it ready during the service, and then be ready to give. It's an important part of why we're able to be here each week, and that is the offering that you give. I want to mention baptism next week. Some of you have children that have never been baptized. If they've said yes to Christ, we've heard great stories this year of our kids becoming Christians this year, and uh, we get that opportunity. We get that blessing, and what a great blessing that is. But if your kids say yes to Jesus, they need to follow through in baptism. Baptism is a a a drenching of God. And next week, we're going to begin another kind of drenching, a new series called The Ghost. And we're going to do a series on the Holy Spirit. And uh, just as we are drenched in water through baptism, we are to be drenched or baptized in the Spirit. What does that mean? We're going to begin a series on the power, the wonder, the gifts of the Holy Spirit next Sunday, so don't miss out next Sunday, but also sign up for baptism. Moms, dads, sign up your kids for baptisms. Young adults, it's your turn. It's time for you to get baptized. Adults, it's part of God's faithfulness. It's a declaration. I say this again. Baptism is our wedding ring to our walk with God. My wedding ring doesn't make me married, but it tells the world I am. Baptism tells the world who you belong to. It tells the world you understand, well, this is not what baptism looks like, but take a look at this. going to stand you up and throw buckets of water on you. I promise. 
But, uh, you know, we may get to that if we run out of places for baptism. Uh, we may stand you up here and hit you with some super soakers or something. Uh, but next Sunday, get drenched, get liquidated in the following of God's declaration of baptism. As he said, to be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's what we're doing. So sign up, get baptized. You can do that by contacting us through Facebook, through that connection card, through email. And uh, let's, let's stand up and worship God. All right. I'm going to go ahead and say Jesus is, and you guys play us out. Let's all stand. God, thank you for your mercy, for your grace, for your love. Thank you that you call us to the cross. Lord, we love you. Let us walk in that freedom of knowing that our life is in your hands. We pray in Jesus' name. Jesus is the living way. Thank you for listening to the Living Way Church podcast. If you enjoyed this message, we hope you come visit us in Garland, Texas. For directions and more information about the church, go to www.livingwaychurch.cc.